And we're going to start uh, in Genesis chapter 8 and just kind of use that as the jumping off point to take what we've been doing the last few weeks and kind of work with that. Um, if you've been with us um, for the past few weeks, we know that you know that we're going through a series of the culture in the Bible, right? So what, we, what we've been doing is taking a look at how culture throughout Scripture, what it's done, how it's been affected by the Scripture, or how it's not been affected by the Scripture. Uh, we talked about the fact that one generation can do the work of the Lord, know what's going on, and the very next generation doesn't, right? And we've talked about that and how those, those things kind of work out. We went through Judges, uh, and we saw that Joshua and all the people of his generation worshipped and served God. One of the main reasons why is they saw what happened as Egypt came or as Israel came out of Egypt, right? They saw the wonderful works, but it tells us their next generation knew not God. And so then you got to ask yourself, why is that so? There's, a, there's an issue that's taking place there that we want to make sure that we see. <clears throat> now, what we're going to do today is we're going to start off with this, and this, this kind of takes us back to where we started um, a few weeks ago. <clears throat> but I want us to be able to get this real quick. Notice in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we've looked at so far is the first 11 chapters of Genesis deals with about 2,000 years of time, right? And what's also interesting is we didn't, get, we didn't get into this as much as I'd probably wanted to with Judges, but Judges, as you read through Judges, Judges goes through to a point in time and then goes back and kind of recovers it and goes back and recovers it and talks a little bit more. So it's interesting when you go back and you look at that. That's, a, that's an interesting thing. But that's also how you teach, Right? One of the things, so as a teacher at the high school, one of the things that I do is <clears throat> I tell the kids, here's what I'm going to teach you. I teach them that, and then I say, what did I teach you? Right? So it's covering that over and over again, that repetition. And what I tell my students with math is you don't have to memorize math. All you have to do is know how to use it. So then when it comes time to use it, you already know how to use it, and it just becomes second nature. Same way with Scripture. You don't have to, it's really great to memorize the Scripture, but What's even better is you're in it so often that it just becomes second nature to you and you don't memorize it, you just know it. And that's a different issue, right? Than just, I can memorize, because there's people out there in the world that's memorized Genesis to Revelation and they have no idea what it says. They know the words, but they don't know what it says. So that understanding, that knowing of it is, is kind of lost on that. <coughs> so it's not just go get some stuff and memorize it, but here's how you use it, right? And that's what we deal with. <clears throat> this is one of those things in the first 11 chapters, this is when God's dealing with all people on the exact same playing field, right? In Genesis through 1 through 11, God's dealing with everybody as a Gentile. And it's not until you get to Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham's called out and God says, I want to separate you for a purpose, and then that's when he starts doing strictly with his people, that nation of Israel, and starts doing something and showing the rest of the nations, this is what it would look like if you had me as your God rather than those other false gods. And you can see this is what would happen. Now, what I want us to be able to think about is as we've gone through with these generations and seeing how that culture changes over time, to the point where you get to the point where you have a culture that is so far gone from a previous culture's thought process that they don't even understand that there's a Bible out there, much less know, their, the, know the Bible. And so that's kind of where we are today. As you see things in life, you start noticing that there's these patterns that work over and over again. Um, we go through them every, every year, right? And that's what we see here in, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Notice, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Uh, as we take a look at these things, may we be mindful of, of 
where we are now, uh, what you're doing, and uh, that we would uh, be a part of that, uh, that we would actually recognize what you're doing and go be a part of that, uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, a couple of things that we noticed there. He says what? While the earth remaineth, you have seed time and harvest. Now, one of the things we started off with a few weeks ago, if you remember, we did the circle, right? And we had uh, seed time, which would go with our spring, right? Well, what's the opposite of seed time is harvest. When does that take place? That takes in the fall. Now, what's interesting about this is those two things are complete opposite ends of each other, right? Now, that's something to keep in mind as we go through here as well. Notice, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, and what? Summer and winter. Now, we've talked about this as we've gone through, and we've talked about, really, you've got a whole bunch of things that we could do with this, right? One, you've got your lifespan is in these four different regions, from about age 0 to 20, that's your springtime, about 20, 20 so, something like that. Um, uh, summer, you're looking at about 20 to 40. Uh, your fall would be about 40 to 60. Winter, you're looking at about 60 to 80. And of course, those are just kind of, I know, well, somebody asked me a few weeks ago, I was like, what if I'm past winter and I'm on my second spring? I'm like, praise the Lord, right? So if you're, if you're past that, then praise the Lord. That's a good thing to know. But here's what's interesting. So we talked about the fact that here's where you're taught your parents' values, right? And what happens is here you start testing, am I going to take on my parents' values or am I going to take on somebody else's values and use that in my life? That's part of that thing. Here you start living those values that you've tested out and said, this is what I want to do. That's where you start living your values that you have. Now, the interesting thing about that is that point there, the 40 to 60, that's when you'll do more in your life that matters. That's where you have, think about all the people that are in power all over the world. That's the age range. What's the age? What's the age that you're allowed to be the first time you're allowed to run for president in the United States of America? Somebody say 35. All right, 35, congratulations, you got that one right. Man, education system. No, but that's the thing, right? That's about the time where they start getting it. Do you know of a 35-year-old president that we've ever had? But you think, that's where, you're, that's where you're doing most of your work and putting those values here. Here, what you're doing is you're planting into that next generation, Right? You got grandkids. What are you doing with grandkids? Here's what grandma and grandpa went through. Here's what we did. Here's what we, here's how we lived. Here's, here's mistakes that we made. Here's some things that we've learned that we can pass on to you that you can go and do. And parents do the same thing, right? What's also interesting, as I said, those two things are completely diametrically opposed. Cold and heat, right? Winter, summer, completely different. Um, day and night. Completely different, right? What's interesting there is what takes place between those two extremes. As we go through and we think about these things, one of the things that we've talked about is time is cyclical, right? You can take a look at history and you can see this thing happened over here and then we see the exact same thing taking place over here because nobody learned the lesson from the last one. You know, they always say those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That's this. Now, you've also got other ways. That's the biblical way, by the way, to look at time. We see it, we see it all the time. Clocks. Why is a clock circular? That's why. You, know, you think about those things and stuff like that. But there's also other ways to look at it. Um, there's one called chaotic time, which is I'm here and that's all I care about. I don't care about that time over there. All I care about is the time that I'm living in right now. You remember when YOLO was around? You all probably don't. You all remember when YOLO was around? That's that. All I care about is what's happening now. I don't care about what happens in the future. Then you've also got linear time where 
we're born and we live, right? And all I'm looking forward to is when I get my car, when I get my first job, when I get married, when I buy my first house. It's what's the next thing, right? But what's interesting is in this, you have both of these things. Because during your springtime, you're there at that one point. But what are you thinking about is your summertime, the next thing, right? So it's interesting that encapsulates those other two. That's the three ways to look at time. Now, the interesting thing is if a person, and I want you to think about this, and we'll get to this in a second, but I want you to think about this. If you go and witness to this person that cares less about, that couldn't care less about their future, how could you tell them about death, what comes after death? How would you go about doing that? Think about that. If they don't care about what the next thing is in life, how are you going to go witness to that person? We got to think about those things, right? Because that's that's where a lot of folks that we know and meet, that's where they are is I don't care what happens tomorrow. I'm going to go do what I want to today. Would it be different than talking to a person that's thinking next step, next step, next step? You would talk to them differently, right? What about this person that says, well, it's always been and always has been. Are you going to talk to them differently and give them the gospel probably differently than you would those other two people? And that's, that's, that's what I want us to be able to think about as we're going through these things, as we're looking at these generations, all right? If this person has a kid, what are they going to teach that kid? That same thing. It doesn't matter what happens. Just go do whatever you want to. Whatever feels good, go do it. This person's going to raise their child differently, and so is this person. That's the way the Gentiles think. And the way we know that is because we used to think the exact same way, right? So that's what I want us to think about as we're going to this. Um, jump over to Psalm 78. <clears throat> Psalm 78. And I want us to see something that I think is really interesting, and I want us to be able to think about these things in, con in uh, comparison with this stuff. With that stuff as the backdrop... Think about these. <clears throat> Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Pause there for a second. Who is it that God is addressing in Psalm 78? Israel. The nation of Israel. My people. What? Give ear to what? My law. There is a law that God gave to the nation of Israel and says what? Give ear, incline your ears to the words of my what? By the way, have you ever thought about when you talk about inspiration, it's the words that are inspired, not the people. Now that was a statement that I made, somebody disagreed with, and I'm fine with that. But what is it that comes out of God's mouth right there or what? His words. It's the law specifically in the context, right? So that's what it means to inspire what inspiration there is not well I felt pretty good about what God said about me so I'm going to go write him, write him a letter that's not what it is it's God spoke these words they came out of his mouth that's inspiration verse 2 I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers what? have told us. Now, what I want you to think about is, that is, you've got a person here that knows something, and what do they do? They tell the next generation what happened. Right? Notice. Verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. So what's he saying? Their children, we're not going to hide it from them either. So when I said grandparents with your grandkids, you're teaching them the same thing that you had. Right? 
that's that issue. Notice. We will not hide from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. So what this guy or girl says is what? We're going to tell our kids about what God's done, and we're not going to stop there. We're also going to go tell their children the same thing. What you have here is the idea of godly generations. What we have to be able to do is care about the soul of our children and the soul of our grandchildren enough to say, I want you to know what the Scripture says. And I want to equip you with what the Scripture says so that when life comes down and kicks you in the head, which it will, you've got something to go back on. And it's not, oh well. And it's not, yeah, but I'll get to that eventually. i got to go do this. This is the person that says, I'll come, I'll come to church, I'll come talk to you about salvation when the time's right. That's this person because they're always looking for the next thing, right? So you got to think about how do we, how does it that we talk to people about these things? This is what it comes down to is what we're looking at here. Verse, verse five, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their what? Children. Children. So think about these. Which one of those would we fall in? No matter what happens, what do we need to do? Is instill in, as he talks about here, the children, what is going on. Why? Verse 6. That the generation to come might what? Know them. You know, one of the things we've talked about before, you know, over in Ephesians, it talks about the fact that we have angels that we're ministering to, that we're teaching angels about God's Word every single day. Not just here, but in our life as we live, we show the angels what God's Word does when it works properly in us or when we don't allow it to work properly in us. So that's one of those things. So we got to think there's a bigger audience than oftentimes we realize. It's the same thing. When we go live, we know and understand that it's not just the folks here that are listening, but there's usually eight to ten people each session that are watching online and listening. There's a bigger audience out there, right? That's what we've got to think about here is the same thing. The generation, verse 6, the, the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to be their children, that they might set their hope in God and what? Not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, <clears throat> one of those things you think about, that's what he's dealing with there is this issue of godly generations. It's not just me, it's what am I teaching my wife? What am I teaching children? What am I teaching grandchildren? When we start thinking about this stuff, there's a whole lot more than just I'm saved, right? That, that kind of idea. There's a whole bunch more that's going on. Um, notice, verse 8. <clears throat> he wants them to keep their hope in God. The opposite of that, verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So what he's saying is he's reminding that the generation before, they didn't do what God wanted them to do. They weren't upright. They didn't hearken unto what he said. And he says, I don't want my children or grandchildren to be like that generation that came before. You know what that means? You can still fix it. 
had we ever had the opportunity to have children, we weren't able to. If we had the opportunity to have children, my, one of my goals is to make sure that they don't learn the things that I learned growing up. So they don't have to unlearn that stuff and then go find out what the Scripture says. But we are in a position we weren't able to. But that's the, that's the issue there when we start thinking about these generations. Go over to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. <clears throat> um, it's only 11 verses. Let's read the whole thing here. Notice, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His, of His hand. Today, if we will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, and as in the days of temptation in the wilderness. That takes us back to when we were looking at the stuff with the nation of Israel, right? They're in the wilderness there. What do they do? We don't want to have anything to this. We want to go back to those gods that we had back in Egypt. And that's that issue that he's dealing with there. Um, notice, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now, keep that name rest in mind. Now, I want you to think about this. One of the things we said a minute ago was those are two things diametrically opposed to each other, right? So are those. One is we believed everything that God did. The other next generation is we didn't believe anything. Two completely different things. That's a pendulum. You think, where are we in, a, as a, in our country, where are we in this pendulum is we're really far. You've got to think what's happened over the last couple of years. That's not the America that I grew up in, and I know it wasn't the America you all grew up in. But this is the America that the young children have grown up in. That's what they know is this far part over here but what's going to happen is that fulcrum's going to swing back the other way. That's the pattern there. That's what we see, right? And we've talked about this before. What, we, what we've been dealing with here, like I said, we can deal with that as far as our ages, but we can also say the group that we've started here, we're still young as far as the group goes. It'll be five years in November that we've been meeting here. So we're here as a group. And I said, Delilah and I may not be alive when that fruit shows up. I don't think I've got 35 more years in me. I might. You never know. But i got to think, that's 35 to 55 more years. I don't know if I've got that much longer. I'd hope I make it to 80, but you never know. right? We may never see the full fruit of what we've done here. Well, what the Lord's done through us here. We may never see that. But guess what we do? We keep going. Knowing that it will show up eventually. Whether we're here or not. That's that idea of the godly generations. One of the things, one of the things that I would like to be able to do is for us to have started a church here and see that issue of godly generations. That the folks move on and keep that truth over and over and over again, well past we're gone, and it continues on. One of the worst things, <clears throat> you look at most ministries out there, 
most ministries are based around a person, and when the person dies, the ministry dies. Our goal is that that doesn't happen. If, if, if I were to die, my prayer is that this ministry would continue on. We're not there yet. I don't think it's sustainable yet. We've, we've got work to do to get us there. I beseech you. <laughs> Let's get on with the work, right? But that's one of those things we've got to think about as a group. If I died today, would you all show up again next Sunday? That's the kind of stuff I want us to think about. That's hard for me to think about. I don't want to die today, obviously. But those are the things that, that I think about all the time is if something happened to me, we're here. It's just as, you know, the parable in, 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 in Scripture of what we've planted here is a seed that's fallen on rock. If that happened, right? Those are the things that I worry about <laughs> all the time. So that's one of those things that I want us as a group. And again, we've talked about this before. Folks online, love you all. Appreciate you being here. But if you're not here part of the work, it's hard, it's hard to do these things, right, as a local assembly. So as a local assembly, we've got to have those kind of conversations. And they're hard to have. But we need to have them to be able to do this right here. But let's go take a look at a few things because I want us to be able to think about those people out there in the world. How are we going to get the gospel to this person that don't care about tomorrow? So if you told them, um, Scripture says that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, do they care? We've got to deal with them in a certain way. If we tell that person, it's still the same gospel. We don't change the gospel, but we change how we present it to the people based on how they think. And you can't do that just by walking up the street and saying, here's a track, read it, let us know. You've got to get to know people. You know, when we were going through the evangelism training, one of the things that we dealt with is having a farming group, people that you know, reaching out to them, talking to them about Scripture, find out if they're lost. If they're saved, bring them to the knowledge of the truth. That's, that, that's one of those things that we have there. But we've got to know people. Um, and we've got to think about those things. But now, let's shift gears for just a second and think about that generation, where we are in our country today. Um, there's... There's always things that we always want to keep in mind and think about. <clears throat> what do you do in the springtime is you plant, right? What do you do in the summer? You water it. Fall, you harvest it. Winter, you eat it. Now, that's back when people actually did stuff, and it's not, well, I go to Kroger every, every, every season, right? So it doesn't matter. Why do I need a farmer? I go to Kroger and get my food. Where do you think the Kroger gets the food from? A farmer, right? I've had kids say that to me, and I'm like, okay. But what do you do in the winter? You eat the stuff that you've harvested, but then you've got to think, what am I going to plant next year? In the springtime, right? So if I had soybeans last year, do I want to do soybeans again? Probably want to do corn next year. You've got to figure out, what am I going to plant? Well, the interesting thing is, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff. We've talked about this a little bit before, but as a group, we're here. But as a nation, we're here going into this. So we're in a re really great opportunity to know that springtime's coming for our country and we're already in spring as a group. That's one of those things we want to be able to think, well, how are we going to go minister to people that think three different ways, and that's in every culture, by the way, um, every people group, whatever it may be, that's what it is. Um, <clears throat> real quick, go over to Romans chapter 12. For some reason, I was in 1 Corinthians 11. But Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> I want us to think about this stuff in a, in a new light, too. Because 
there's an issue that I want us to be able to see when they, when they said, we don't want our children to be like that previous generation that said, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I want to go back to Egypt. How do we do that? There's a few things that I want us to be able to see. Notice Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Again, there's a bunch of stuff in here. I beseech you. That's a grace word. If I'm begging you, based on the things that I've just talked about in the previous 11 chapters, what are you going to do with the body that really doesn't even belong to you now? What do we do? We should offer it to God as a living sacrifice, acceptable and holy unto God, which is our what? Reasonable service. Isn't it reasonable to know that Jesus Christ goes to the cross and dies for our sins, was buried and rose again three days later so that we can have justification? Isn't it reasonable to say, Lord, I want to give my body to your service? It's reasonable. And that's his issue here. Notice in verse 2. And this is really the thing that I want us to think about. And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's two things there, right? He says what? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Same thing we talked about in the last session, right? We have an opportunity to do one thing or the other. Now, let's think about some things real quick. <clears throat> On that note, get, uh, get Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse 36. And I want us to think about this in, in terms of, of where we are. And then we're going to talk about that world. And I'm looking at this clock and there is no way in the world I've been speaking for 32 minutes. It may feel like it to you all. To me, I'm thinking I just started four seconds ago, right? Golly. But I want you to notice something real quick. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. He's talking about David. Really, he's talking about Christ in the, in the context there about His resurrection. And he gets down to verse 36, and it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Who is it that David served? His own generation. I want you to think about something real quick. I look around in this room and there's one, two, three, four different generations that I see in this room now. Do you know what that means? We should be able to reach four different generations as a group. There's a whole bunch of people. We can reach four different generations if each one of us do what David did and serve in his own generation. We look at the folks around us, it's about our age group, and what do we do? We, we think the same way they think because we were brought up in a world that they were brought up in. Think about this. <clears throat> Could you imagine talking to somebody that went through the Great Depression that you can go buy a Jeep Wagoneer that starts off at $90,000? Could you imagine talking to somebody that went through the Great Depression and that? Can you imagine talking to somebody that grew up and they could go into a restaurant, or a, not a restaurant because they didn't exist, but you go into a, 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 a grocery store and you can buy bread for a nickel and tell them it's two bucks now. Could you imagine that? So there's differences in those two groups of people, right? Can I talk, and you know, you think about this all the time. I deal with this at school, and I'm starting to see this turn where kids that I'm dealing with in high school, I can't relate to them as easily as I did once two years ago. There's a shift. Now, I've got there. there's things that they're doing and saying now that didn't take place then that didn't take place when I was in high school a bunch of years ago. Those are things that we've got to think about. It's, and you know, you look and say, I look at my nephew, which is the age of the kids that I deal with. I look at him and I'm thinking, 
I have no idea half the words that he says. I know he says words. They're all English. But I have no idea what he said. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay. Well, I know I've heard it at school, and I know the context, so I can kind of figure it out. But, like, there's a point where you're just like, man, I just, I can't understand their generation. But somebody in their generation can. Somebody that grew up in the Great Depression can deal with somebody that grew up in the Great Depression. Somebody that grew up in this generation now can relate to somebody in this generation now. People that grew up in my generation, I can relate with easier than I can others. Now, what's interesting is you can, you can generally relate to the people in your previous generation and the generation after you. We're in that part where I'm, I'm, I'm with those kids and there's been a, a shift. And it's like, I have no idea. Like their thinking's completely different. That's this that we're seeing. That's this. And I want you to be able to think about that as we're going through talking about how do we go and reach people in the, in the communities around us, wherever we come from, how do we reach people if we don't know first how they think and can we actually converse with them? That's one of those things when we look at this and he says, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. I want us to be able to think about that. <clears throat> I mean, I remember the first pair of Jordans that I bought, they were $85. And I'm like, 85 bucks? Now it's like $200. I'm like, what? For a pair of shoes? There was a lady at school the other day, math, math department, we're, we're, we, we eat lunch in my room, and she, she says... Do you all know what the going... By the way, let me ask you all this. What's the going rate for the first tooth to come out for the tooth fairy? Do you all know? Like $5. When I grew up, it was 5 Do you know what it is now? 20 I got to take a loan out to give a kid a, a, a paycheck for losing a tooth? My credit's not that good. I wouldn't be able to get a, I wouldn't be able to get a credit line. But that's the thing. So she asks people around, says, what's the going rate right now for the first tooth? 20 bucks. I'm like, five for the first one, one for all the other ones. I'm like, this kid's already made more money than I did, my whole mouth full. <laughs> but that's a generational thing. We look at that and say, man, that's crazy. When, when we did it, I think, I think it was a dollar for the first one and then a quarter after that, and I'm thinking, man, this, this kid's rich. But that's, that's a generational thing that we don't know or understand sometimes unless we ask, right? So that's one of those things I want us to be able to think about as we go through there and go through these things. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, the good part is we all know that we're all kind of cut from the same cloth in the fact that in Ephesians chapter 2, and let's just use this as a backdrop and then we'll go get some other things as well. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That's the world, by the way, that Paul says, be not conformed to in Romans 12. All right? What's that world look like? Go to 1 John. <clears throat> and I want us to be able to see these things uh, because maybe we've not all seen the verses, but I want us to be able to see the verses and do that. Delilah, would you mind turning down the air just a little bit? The fact that I'm cold, I know people are. Huh? We are in the winter. Well, we're moving into spring, right? <clears throat> huh? That's what I mean, yeah. I mean, you can turn it down, but then we'll all be frozen popsicles. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is, this is what it comes down to. And I want us to think about this. No matter how you think, no matter what generation you find yourself in, everything comes down to three things. Notice, 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, 
Now, he's not talking about the people. He's not saying don't love the people. He's saying don't love the system out there that you used to be a part of, right? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You remember Demas forsook Paul having loved this present world? Notice in verse 16, For all that is in the world... Here it is, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What's the world system made of? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. No matter if you think chaotically, no matter whether you think linearly, or whether you think cyclically, no matter what generation you're in, those are the three issues. Do you know how we know those are the three issues? You go back to Genesis chapter 3, what does Satan do? Presents Eve with lust of the eyes, lust of the, lust of the, oh man, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He deals with her those three things. What's she do? She falls hook, line, and sinker. And goes to Adam, who should have been like this person saying, I'm going to teach my wife, my children, and my grandchildren what God said. But he was like this person that didn't do what he was supposed to do. <coughs> he gets her in those three things. She shouldn't have been able to if Adam would have done his job, is my point. Jesus Christ. Was Jesus Christ in the same generation as Adam and Eve? He came thousands of years later. When Satan shows up and takes him into the mountain. Three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Two different generations, two completely different thinking processes, and what happens? He answers, it is written, all three times. He used Scripture to report back to Satan and what he was offering. Eve did not. In fact, what we find out is What's interesting is Eve reported back a corrupt version of what God said. Now use that in inspiration and preservation and tell me that King James isn't it. So there's a bunch of things there. So that's one of those things I want us to think about. Everything in life, no matter what season, no matter what generation, no matter how you think through life, those are the three things. How do you answer those three things? It is written, it is written, it is written. What's interesting is, is when Christ is on the cross, He's got verses on His mind, and He says what? I'm thirsty. He says, I thirst. Why? Because there's a verse that needs to be fulfilled. Did you? Praise the Lord. When He's on the cross and He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what that is? That's Psalm 22. The verses of Scripture is on his mind as he's going through the things that he went through on the cross. Even though it was a different generation, even though it was a different thinking process, those three issues, he dealt with it all the time throughout his life from the beginning to the end with it is written. The Scripture, the book that we have in front of us is not just words on a page. It is life. We talked about that before. And the only thing that we can do with our life is take this life and put it in it. Now, there's a few things I want us to be able to think about as we move forward with this. There's an issue that I want us to be able to look at. Go real quick to 2 Corinthians and we'll set this up for the next time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. And keep in mind all the things we've been dealing with with the generation stuff so far. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I said verse 15, but I want you to get the context. Look at verse 1 and 2 real quick. Notice, maybe verse 3, yeah. We then as workers together with Him. By the way, there's a ministry that we have that we're working with God. Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For He saith, 
I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Notice, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. The context of what we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is ministry, which, by the way, we have as co-laborers and co-workers with God. Notice, verse 15. And this is what I want us to think about as we move forward. How is it that we are not conformed to a world? Here's how. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? You remember we talked about Belial the last couple of weeks? That comes out of that bell worship stuff. We saw those in the verses last couple of weeks. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? So what he's talking about here again is the context is ministry. All right? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? By the way, we are the temple of God, right? We've looked at those verses. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The verse that we didn't read is, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Most everybody uses that verse and they say, That has to do with marriage. That whole context is talking about ministry, folks. And he's saying, Don't, be in, don't get in ministry with people that are opposite of what you're doing. There's an issue of separation there saying, I'm going to look at things out there. Like we talked about that system last, last week or so. There's a system out there that worships the Queen of Mary or the Queen of Heaven, right? Don't be a part of that. He's saying separate yourself from that. That's the issue. There's an issue with separation in this. It's, there's a doctrine of separation that I want us to be able to go through and we're going to look at that. Daniel... We're going to look at this as we go through. We can't do it today. Daniel chapter 1 shows us. Noah was separated, right? Right before the flood. Abram was separated, right? As we go through and we see those things, what we're going to be doing, and we'll see how this works, is we're to be separated from that world and that world system, we'll see that as we go through. Now, one thing I do want to mention, and we'll, we'll, we'll go over this a little bit more, <clears throat> is I want, us to think about, I want us to think about this. We live in a world that is idolatrous and pagan and superstitious, just like what we see in Acts chapter 17. And it's not just the world out there. They're gathering this morning in buildings. I used to be a part of it. It's all over the place. Why? They have no knowledge of God. We see that in Romans 1. They're looking for a rest. They're looking for acceptance. And they're looking for peace. Where are they looking for those things? They look for those things in pleasure, whether it be alcohol, drugs, fornication, whatever it is. It's a very me-centered generation that we see. It's you must, you have to accept my reality, but I don't have to accept yours. That's where we are. I work in a school. I see it all the time. They're living according to the course of the world. And we know something about that because we used to be a part of it. It's those three things. And they're trying to fix it based on a law that they've created, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 2. They're a law unto themselves. What that created then was the wrath of God where He gave them over to themselves. They want to shift the blame 
just like Adam and Eve. Adam said what? It's the woman that you gave me. It's her fault. Eve said what? It's not me, it was Satan. It's not my fault. It was the serpent's fault. That's where we are. They're spiritual, but not religious. What I want us to think about as we go through this and look at this issue of separation, part of being separated or set apart, sanctified, is not bringing culture into the church and baptizing it and calling it good. What being separate is, is wherever we go in the culture around us, we take the life of Christ and put it on display in our culture around us. Being separate is not about saying to the world, you stay over there and we're going to be over here doing our own thing. What we saw with Israel was they were in the world and of the world. And and when I say that, what I mean is, remember, God left them around those people and said they're going to be a thorn in your sides and they're going to be a snare unto you. But be ye separate from them. But the issue is, is we don't say we're not going to go have anything to do with you. One of the reasons why I still teach in a public school is because I want to go be Christ in that culture. Now that's different than a lot of folks think, but that's one of those things that we need to do. We go be who we are in Christ wherever we go and go that way. We don't bring the culture in and then try to change them. We go be, the, we go be Christ to the culture Show them. When people say to you, Delilah said this before with her, when people say to you, there's something different about you, tell me what it is. And then you know what you have? You have an opportunity to talk to them about that book. It's a wonderful thing that we get to be a part of. But that separation isn't, I'm going to leave you out to yourself and I'm just going to go hang around people that... that that I agree with and I like, but I'm going to go wherever anybody is and I'm going to take Christ with me. No matter how they think, no matter what season of life they're in, we go be Christ where He is and that's everywhere. It's an awesome responsibility. But it's also a great privilege that we're counted meat to work with Him. And the only reason we're meat to work with Him is because He's made us accepted in the beloved. It's a wonderful thing. We're living in a wonderful time when much becomes very little, which is where we're going. Everything gets real basic. You know what the most basic thing you're going to be able to go to? The book that you have in front of you. We've been in a time where everything's always been good and that pendulum switching to the opposite. And what I want us to do is to be ready before it gets over there so that we can go and do the work of the ministry that we're designed to do.